Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Ray Allen Canine. It's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine equipment. We use their products every single day at both Van Ness Canine and at Torchlight. Their mission statement says it all to be the world leader in quality innovation for professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport. Tend to exceed their customers' expectations and deliver on time every time at a fair price. We full heartedly believe that they've held true to that since it is our go to one stop shop for everything canine, not just police dogs, but for any working dog. This episode is also brought to you by our good friends over at Dogtra, dogtra.com. It's the e collars that Ted and I use. It's e collars most police dog guys use. Dogtra.com, e collars, bark collars, ball launchers, one stop shop for everything you need for your working dog, dogtra.com. One of the other sponsors we're proud to have is Hits Canine Training Conference. It's the premier Amer- it's the premier canine training seminar in the United States, packed in the room with the world's best instructors covering important topics from admins to liability to detection work, all and tracking and everything in between. There's no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, and trainers. Hits 2022 is being held in Orlando in August. Uh, so hit them up, hitscanine.net. We're super happy to be uh, represented by our good friends at Kinetic Dog Food. Uh, we've got great reviews from people all over the place. Uh, ever since we, we joined up with them and partnered with them, their uh, commitment to your dog's nutrition is top-notch. KineticDogFood.com. Check them out. Jim over at NC Canine out in North Carolina. It's the culmination of 13 years of experience in handling the training uh, law enforcement canines. They use real-world deployments to develop their training program and rely not only on their experience, but the current experience of the nation's canine handlers provide the best canine partner you can get. They provide pet training and police canine training based out of Four Oaks, North Carolina, and they serve the surrounding areas as well as nationally. Feel free to call them and learn more about their dog training program, police canine techniques and methodologies. We got a brand new sponsor, man, American Aluminum Accessories. Uh, my entire time in canine and ever since I've been involved in the dogs, the kennel in the back of our cruisers has always been American aluminum. Uh, check them out. Uh, we're so happy to have them on here. Easyrideronline.com. Easyrideronline.com for everything you need from American aluminum accessories. Speaking of kennels, once you get out of the car, you got to have somewhere to put them. So our friends up in Ohio at Horizon Structures make a one-stop shop for kennel. If you want a two-dog kennel or if you want a 20-dog kennel, they got you covered. They get those things built, and they drop it off at your house. All you got to have is a pad, electricity, and water, and you can put dogs in it that day. Horizon Structures can build you anything from mild to wild, and it is the one-stop shop, and you don't have to swing a single hammer. So hit them up, horizonstructures.com. All right, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Uh, I am Ted Summers from uh, a swampy, humid Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's definitely summertime. With me, as always, uh, from Canton, Ohio, is Eric Stambro. Eric, what's up? Uh, uh, single purpose uh, dope dog handling school started this week, um, and I have already shit canned the dog that I have for it. Um, it's a dog that I provided. I just don't like her. Um, she was training up really good doing, doing okay. You know? Um, and I just was like, man, she just is more about the human than she was the hunt. I said, well, we'll see. We got away from my building. We got away from boxes. We got away from all that. And we started, um, just letting her self find hides and vehicles. And she was doing pretty good. Um, I was like, okay, man, she'll, she'll, 
we'll keep going with her. And then the handler came up. He's green, brand new guy. Um, he came up and started Monday. And at the same time, we're, we're training up a green plus Malinois. I have another Mal, another insane shepherd that, that we're training up. And you can see the difference. Obviously, the lab is not going to be the Mal. However, even an idiot can see the difference. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, look, dude, I, I hate to say this. I'm going to fire this dog even though, you know, I provided the dog, I, I said, she just, she's a super sweet dog. Just not about the hunt work. You know, she's more about just, um, when I was imprinting her, I was using food and a lot of odor discrimination, scent discrimination. She was doing really well. If you were there feeding her, but when it came time to, to range out and work, it just wasn't, you know, it just wasn't there. So, um, I had trained up a dog and sold to our friend, Scott down at uh, next level kennels. Um, dog named Joda, big lab, big, stocky, thick boy, and a real nice dog. And he still had him. And I said, I'll, I'll buy him back. So he's coming tomorrow. Scott's driving up from North Carolina with a few extra dogs for me to look at. And remember last, before I said I was clearing out my kennel and taking a break and not going to have any dogs from like when these dogs leave in mid-July until October. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the case because um, I've also can't see me. If you're listening to this, I'm sitting here laughing. <laughs> yeah. He's like, here's my surprise face. <laughs> so I, um, uh, because now I'm also agreed to board a bunch of canine guys, dogs. And so lucky I live at a lake and I don't need to take a vacation in the summer because my house is a vacation, but um, so it's going along pretty good. That guy, that dog's coming tomorrow. He's already, he's already, um, imprinted up we're actually on four odors with him because the handler is a school resource guy he's going to be in the school they want weed and everything uh -huh. so um good kid uh eager to learn everything so we're just plugging away with that my fall handler school though which is set to uh, start very end of september beginning of october i think i'm going to cancel it i'm kind of just over it i don't want to do it um i'm i think i'm stepping back and going to offer green and green plus dogs not so many pre-trained and not really any handler schools for a little while only because I'm only able to do half days on the police side. The other side, the other half of the day have to be at the, at the pet facility. So I'm, it's taking me longer to train the police dogs than I would like, because I'm only doing from like, you know, seven thirty eight o'clock in the morning till about 11 30, 12. And then I got to go over to the new place. So to me is, is insufficient. So I'm kind of, but green plus I can do that all day. That's yeah. That's no big deal. How about you? Uh, I've got pets. I've got a full <laughs> kennel. All of my runs are full. I got a, I have a baby German shepherd, a baby Dutch shepherd and a baby Malinois in the kennel mm -hmm. right now. I have the, where'd you get fucking, a Dutch shepherd? Who, who owns fucking Dutch shepherd puppies? So over there? This dude from Tulsa who uh, he owns a fishing boat down in Costa Rica. So he spends half the time here and half the time there, which believe me, I already thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, but he has this fucking super nice little Dutch puppy that is from like the Costa Rican military or something fucking crazy. Mm. Like, of course it's Costa Rica. It's like the size of Tulsa County. But so um, his name's Mojito. But I have the Northern European Terror Squad. I got a Malinois, a Dutch Shepherd, and a little black German Shepherd. And they're all just shitheads. And they're just, I fucking hate puppies. 
Um, mm. they're, they're cool little dogs, man. And the little black one, the little German shepherd, she's a rock star. And you know, they, all they want is their, she's just a pet. And, but she is like, like if we go in there to mop or I'll move around, I mean, she's going after my pant legs, tearing the mops up. I'm like, I'm like, you sure? <laughs> like, she's, she's pretty nice. So, um, uh, for those, you know, real quick, one thing I learned with the uh, pet stuff because I've I'm up to twelve trainers now that work for me. It's very good, yeah. Ted, to have people that will do puppies for you. Oh, I know. Just that a hint. Me. I, I get it. I, I know. <laughs> I, I don't mind. I mean, they're they're fun because I get to. They're yeah. like kids, right? It's like my nieces. I get to play with them a little bit, and then I give them back to my sister, and I'm like, here you go. <laughs> they're not my dogs. I don't care. Mm. So uh, <laughs> I don't have to deal with them. They stay at the kennel. Uh, so the other news, uh, for those that don't know, for, if you've been to HRD seminars, uh, or if you follow me, um, or Alicia or Eric, for that or matter, any conference that we've been any at. conference, if any conference you've been at, um, you have inevitably when it came in contact with, uh, CJ, uh, which was Alicia's little three-legged one-eyed, um, Brussels Griffon, like the four pound, she's been on the podcast twice. I think I picked her up and stuck her in front of the camera. Uh, CJ uh, passed away the other day and, um, you know, she just went to sleep, didn't wake up. So uh, she was old. Uh, Alicia gave her a fantastic life. I mean, she, that dog went to more places than most fucking people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that dog, she would, Alicia, every time we would fly somewhere, I mean, that dog would sit in her lap and I mean, you know, so uh, it's been a little rough for sure. Uh, we still have the other one, the other potato from he's the same breed he's just a little he's like a potato with legs he's got all his parts though so um yeah uh if you're listening and you've seen you were at any of the conferences or any of the hrds it's like yeah uh you inevitably met cj or bean or whatever her name was at the time and uh she lived a long long time she was 14 years old she was old yeah and i mean so yeah, you know, Eric and I were talking about the other day. I mean, not having to make the choice um, is super rare. So, Very unselfish uh, of her, honestly. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Um, so, you know, in that respect, you know, um, I'm sorry for Alicia and I'm sure everybody is too. But um, so not to be a fucking bummer. Uh, on that note, we're going to talk about dogs and strip clubs and fighting and stuff now. So <laughs> with that, our guests tonight, uh, I, we've known for quite a while. We went out and trained with them a little bit out in North Carolina, um, at one point and, uh, but we have a handler from, uh, one of the SF groups, uh, Travis Bobo. Travis, how are you? Good, good. How about yourself, Ted? Doing well, man. I'm glad to have you on. When we went out, when you were working at Griffin, we came out and we're like, fuck, we need to have you on the podcast. And it was just never like, it was always one of these things that uh, like never the stars never aligned. Shit, we almost did the night because you're in the middle of a damn hurricane and we were worried you were going to lose electricity or internet or something. So yeah, uh, yeah. It's just, uh, just like you said, the stars never aligned. I, I was a busy man there. I was working 14 hours a day there. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir talking to you and Eric. Uh, you guys are in your own company. You guys know. Um, but before we get into that, I, I didn't know about Alicia's dog. So I, I want to offer my condolences to you and Alicia. I, I never got to see the dog, but I know it was a, a it was a Facebook, Instagram all-star. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, she'll appreciate that. It, it's been, um, it's been rough um, and rightfully so, imagine. but yeah, yeah um, 
inevitably like occasionally those dogs come along and she was one of them and like you know i mean i i didn't it was always funny taking her to hrd seminars you see these grizzled ass tattooed handlers dudes big motherfuckers with big gnarly dogs and they're like oh my god let me see this thing and the pictures that we have of cj being held by dudes and fucking plate carriers and like they're like what is this and they're like oh it's the new pocket it's the pocket canine you know you just and so yeah it uh yeah she's but if you wanted to no one would have known also that she was there like no no, you're like why is the bag moving yeah there's a dog in it what is that yeah the little suitcase thing yeah uh, and it looks like something you put water on overnight or fed you know after midnight Uh, and (laughs) (laughs) yeah man it's awesome though awesome dog yeah she was great um so uh, give us a little bit of your background, Travis. Like, where are you from? How did you get into canine? Um, yeah, yeah, originally. And before from, uh, we start, too, like, so part of this, too, we're going to reference an episode we did a couple ago with um, Josh Davis um, because we mentioned you in that episode a couple of times. So uh, for those, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Eric's, for those that can't see what Eric's doing, <laughs> you'll hear about it in a second. Uh, there's some stories that were referenced in there that uh, we want to talk about. But um, so if you haven't listened to that one, listen to that one first. So like this makes sense. So, but yeah, so give us your background a little bit, you know, how we got into canine, how we got into SF, the whole, the whole story. Yeah. It was all, uh, uh, it was all happenstance really. None of it was by plan. I know, I know most guys that fall into the special operations community, um, you know, they had that plan since they were a child. That That's what they wanted to do. That's what they wanted to join the military to do. Um, with me, really, I, I had no clue about the military whatsoever. Um, 9-11 had just happened. I ended up graduating high school a little bit early, um, joined the military at 17. Being that I was 17, I had to have the uh, parental's permission slip, essentially. Um, so I got a dog's ass in my face. But... Um, so I wanted to join infantry. It's the only thing I knew. Um, of course, my dad signed off on it. My mom had a, uh, a brother, my uncle, that was in. And uh, I think he just fed her a bunch of embellished stories, um, scared her to death so she wouldn't sign off on me being infantry. So went back to the recruiting office, um, told him I wanted to be combat arms, but it needed to be something I can convince my mom to sign off on. So artillery was the next best thing. Um, I didn't know anything about artillery. I thought, you know, TV shows, that was it. Three jobs. You got the dude that loads the gun, the dude that names the gun, the guy that pulls the cord. That's what I was thinking back then. Um, So I went down the list, picked the one with the highest bonus. Um, I ended up being a a multiple launch rocket system fire direction specialist. So the target tier for the big, long rockets that range like 300 kilometers. Um, So took off, went to Fort Sill. Lawton, Oklahoma, you're oh, woods. Fucking, fucking <laughs> hot down there. Woo. Yeah, Woo. yeah. First, first time in my oh, life I ever physically saw a tornado, but it was so far away you didn't have to be scared of it. Um, uh, but what is that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Look, tornado. <laughs> ah, fuck. Don't worry about it. It's, yeah, it's, it's way over it's, there. It's what we do here. When they blow the tornado sirens, we all go outside and look. <laughs> we don't go. Wow, I probably would do that too. So, so you saw a tornado at Fort Sill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but the job, the job was cool. Um, but it never changed. Once you learned the job, you knew the job, re- regardless of your rank. You just got more responsibility. But it was always the same job. Um, did a couple deployments with 
conventional guys and did a couple of deployments out of the 82nd. Um, I was attached to Ranger Battalion for both of them. Um, and that's kind of where the light shone through. Um, living with those guys, working with those guys, that's what I dreamed the Army would be like. Um, so I started trying to figure out my path. How, how do I get over there? Um, Ranger Battalion wasn't accepting my MOS. So um, made some friends with the guys, tried to figure out the next best route. A lot of the guys that were there in Ranger Battalion, I was already eight years in. I was a staff sergeant, um, convinced me that it probably wouldn't be a good idea for me to do it anyways. Being a transplant that far in, I would be treated by shit, by like shit, by some corporal that has five or six deployments. And like, you just got to eat it. Um, and, and rightfully so, I, I would think that that experience would kind of trump your rank and conventional side at that point. Um, so SF was the next best thing. And at eight years in, I was looking at either going in death um, or getting out. So I kind of told myself, I'm going to go to selection. If I make it, I'll stay in, see where it brings me. Um, if not, then I'm going to get out and I'll probably paint cards for a living. Um, so I went, got selected, um, somehow made it through. Um, got assigned a third group. I got nothing I asked for. Um, I wanted <laughs> Spanish. I wanted to be an 11 Bravo. I wanted to go to Eglin Air Force Base. I wanted to travel <laughs> South America. I got Urdu as my language. Um, I got told I was staying on Fort Bragg and I was going to be a communication sergeant. Um, so I got absolutely nothing I wanted. Um, <laughs> Why even ask? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the wish list is really just that. It's a wish list. Um, it's needs of the force always. Um, but it, it was a good thing. It was a blessing in disguise. Um, I wanted to be with a group. I wanted to be with a group of guys that was getting after it. And at the time, third group was hot and heavy in the war in Afghanistan and, and basically everywhere else. They were starting to dip their toe back into Africa, getting work there. Um, you name a hot spot, they were there. Um, so did my time on a regular team, um, did a couple deployments with them. And uh, inevitably, you guys probably know this with all the guests that you've had on. At some point in SF anyways, you have to go be an instructor. It's what we call slick time. Um, I knew that was coming up and I wanted to dodge it. And I didn't know anything about dogs at all. Um, really didn't have a huge desire to be a dog handler. But the canine guys were always operational. They were always getting after it. I knew that much. And I could do it in lieu of going and being an instructor for three or four years. So I uh, threw my hat in the ring. Um, it was during a time when a lot of the handlers, not all of them, but a lot of the handlers, at least in our group, were voluntold that they were going to go be handlers. Um, so tell a sergeant major, tell a first sergeant, tell a commander that he has to send someone somewhere. He's probably not going to pick his best guys. Um, so it was rare for someone to volunteer and say, this is where I want to be. So it was, you kind of got a carte blanche. If you were one of those guys there, they were going to let you in. Um, so I got back off of deployment, my second deployment with SF, um, and then walked, literally walked right into the kennels and started working and fell in love with it. Absolutely fell in love with it. It was like a puzzle every single day. The psychology of working dogs intrigued me. Um, figuring out the drives of every dog and their personality that from the outside in, it was all the same. It was another M4 on a shelf from the outside in. And then once you got in, you know, you started seeing all the little eccentricities. And I, and I think that's why I fell in love with it.
So um, when you went to selection, um, what boots did you wear? <laughs> were they fancy Nike boots? Yeah. Actually, I think they were. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, do. I do think I wore some Nikes. I, I remember having, at least in the course, not in selection, um, two sets of boots that I wore for two years. And uh, one set was a set of Nikes, and the other set I – I can't remember. There was something a little more durable for the woods, but I, I beat the soles off those boots. I don't know what it is with you motherfuckers. When we had Josh on here. He said the same thing when he went over. Like he was wearing fucking plate carrier over there. He was in fucking Ranger Battalion. They all looked at him and they're like, what are you wearing? He's like, I, I like it. It's what comfortable. Yeah, it's comfortable. Like, like, what do you want from me, man? So he right, has nipple marks in it. He was he knew. He knew that plate right. carrier. So um <laughs> during your selection, during well, during Q course, um, there's a point in time where um, you guys have to do some like explain the process of what you know what I'm talking about. So however yeah, yeah. you want to, however you want to address it, like you can you can address it. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'll kind of expound upon the story that Josh started. Um, not everyone has to go through this. I don't even know if it's part of the Q course anymore at all. It's changed so much. Um, but uh, when we went through. Um, there was a, a portion of it called CLT, um, and, and don't ask me what it means. I don't know. Um, but it was for guys that hasn't, that hadn't been through the first two levels of their NCO schools yet. Um, so if you made it through selection, the very first thing you did was this CLT course and it counted as your, your two levels of NCO school. It was all just culminated into one. Um, but at some point during CLT, you had to fight. Um, you either had to box, you had to wrestle, grapple, something, um, and they kind of split you up. Um, I, I had some boxing experience prior to, um, and uh, they paired me with a kid that, and I say kid because he was a kid. He, he was an 18 X-ray kid off the street, never been in a fight in his life, um, and, and he had heard that I'd boxed before, so he came up to me prior to the fight and uh, asked me. If, if we could take it easy and, and I told him absolutely yeah, of course we're I'm, I'm not here to hurt anybody you know we're we'll put on a show for the cadre and you know we got to fight we got to throw hands but you know we'll touch and go and uh he agreed so we put our headgear on put our gloves on got out there and like I threw a little light jab and he come from the ground with that haymaker and knocked my whole headgear sideways on my face and like I could see the stars and uh, it was game on at that point. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's I, great. Uh, do you do you still talk to him? <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. I don't even know if he made it to the course because you kind of like split ways. Like if you're not in the same MOS and like I, I don't know, yeah. I don't remember ever seeing him again. <laughs> uh, how long at when you started when you fixed your headgear did he realize you think that he fucked up? Probably the first time. So we did, it, it wasn't a true boxing ring. Let me try to like paint the picture. It was hard <laughs> packed ground with roots from the trees all around it. And our <laughs> ring was a layer of like sandbags that had probably been there for three years, like stacked three high. So I think the first time his head bounced off one of those sandbags <laughs> was probably concrete basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they, we had a, uh, the instructor that was over it, his name was, uh, well, I won't say his name because mm -hmm. um, I don't know if he's still out there, you know, stacking bodies or not, but um, <laughs> he, he was a Russian and uh, 
real thick accent Russian um like a guy that you would imagine being in SF like when I saw him I was like oh yeah that's that's what I want to grow up to be like is that guy just hard as nails scary to look at he ended up like intervening and stopping the fight and pulling me off the kid so but that was uh that was it so I heard that was the last time they ever did that yeah uh, did the Russian <laughs> know that you had a boxing background no, I don't think he did. Uh, he uh, was like, fuck, <laughs> this is a dude. <laughs> He's out. like, mental note. Uh, don't learn today. With <laughs> and he would have the typical, like, Russian madhouse uh, roid rage. He'd, like, walk into the classroom, and all of us would have drank the, the percolator of coffee already or killed all the sugar, and he'd come in and, like, freak out and throw the percolator against the wall and scream about, where's the sugar? And then take off out of the room, and we knew we all fucked up, and we're all sitting there quiet scared looking at the ground <laughs> believe me i i have a really good friend here in tulsa uh that's russian that works at the sheriff's office and um he's been here 20 something years and still like occasionally he's like how do you say this i'm like bro you've been here this long it's the same thing like you go work out with him and he's like ah did, you don't need music music is a crutch i'm like whatever and you know and he was like in gym we're not friends I'm like, yeah, we are in Shut the gym. Up. We're not friends. That's what he said. No, I need no you to shit. spot like, me, dude. What do you mean? No, he's like, friends. he's like, no, he's like, no music. Music is a crutch. And he was having us do this weird, not, well, I just call it the Russian triathlon where, and I'm like, you motherfuckers used to play with tires and stuff when you were in Russia. I'm like, we saw like, the movie. We saw Rocky. Yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah. I mean, like you guys like used to play with rocks and tires and shit. And he's in his mid fifties. So, and I was like, especially when he, and he actually has the, I think he still holds the record for the youngest um, Antarctic trans crossing, like by a person or something. He was down there in Antarctica. He was stationed in Antarctica anyway, but it, it's the same thing. Like he's one of those guys you look at him and you're like, ah, <laughs> same thing. So um, you finish up Q course um, and you do the deployments and then we get to the dogs. So we're going to take a break real quick. When we come back, we're going to talk about the dogs and uh, the process of that whole, of the selection of that and the training. So we'll be back in just a second. Don't go anywhere. No fast forward through commercials. We have a long standing relationship with the guys over at hits canine training conference. Uh, it's truly America's premier canine seminar. It is the largest. It is the best. Um, they cover every important topic in the canine industry. Hundreds and hundreds of vendors, thousands of canine people there. Everybody you know in this industry is there. Ted and I will be teaching. Hits 2022 is being held in Orlando, Florida, August 16th to the 19th. Also, check out their website, hitscanine.net. They have other classes that they're putting out online. Uh, Zoom classes and all kinds of other things they're offering in-person classes leading up to HITS 2022, Orlando, Florida, August 16th to the 19th. Check it out, hitscanine.net. Everyone knows me, knows that I live on chicken nuggets and Coors Light. So uh, that doesn't mean your dog should, though. Um, our friends at Kinetic um, are make it a, a point to fuel working dogs, and they know that it can be tough, and they need high-quality food, unlike me to give them energy and the nutrients that they require. I just subsist on air and, you know, Coors Light, which, but the dogs can't, they actually have to work. So for that, we asked Kinetic and Kinetic has come up with a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working in sport dogs. They have a full line of foods and supplements available and they've been working 
to perfect their line for thousands of dogs and hundreds of departments across the U.S. You can buy it locally online or at Tractor Supply, or you can get it at Chewy. So head over to their website, kineticdogfood.com, 513-615-6904. And get them on the socials at Kinetic Dog Food. So probably the number one product I've ever advertised for or used that set, that does what they say is Quick Derm by Vet Care. Uh, I have it uh, at my house. I have it at the kennel. I have it at the fun house. I have it at the uh, doggy daycare. I have my trainers have it at their house. It is unbelievable how it works. You guys have all heard Ted and I talk about it, how we've gotten tagged by dogs or dogs do, you know, if you're dealing with working dogs, weird stuff happens, right? It's cuts that, how the hell that happened? Bites, scratches, all kinds of things that happen, especially if you're doing anything in the wooded area, they get tore up. Uh, the Quick Derm by Vet Care. It is no exaggeration. It is great. So once daily treatment for any skin condition or small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big ones. Comes in sprays, ointments, or dressing. Quick Derm is great at creating a protective barrier and promoting wound healing. The best thing, too, is they have a discount code. Get on their website, vetcare.us. That's vetcare.us. Put in the discount code one zero. WDR in capital letters, one zero WDR for 10% off your first order. These next guys uh, have actually been on the show when we instructed at uh, the first uh, tripwire conference down in Florida. Uh, Jim O'Brien was a guest on the show uh, and he runs NCK9, who has now come onto the show as a sponsor. Um, Jim's been around for quite a long time, about 13 ish years. Uh, with experience handling and training law enforcement canines. Um, he uses real-world deployments to develop training program and not rely only on their experience, but current experiences from most of their national canine teams and handlers to provide the best canine partner that you guys can, can purchase. They provide pet training and police canine services based out of Four Oaks, North Carolina, and they serve the surrounding areas. Feel free to give Jim a call, a text, carrier pigeon, however you want to get a hold of him. Uh, to to talk to him about police canine training or pets and techniques and methodologies. So hit him up at 919-438-0141 or J O'Brien. That's J O B R I E N at N C letter K number nine dot us. Check the show notes. We'll put it there. All right. We're back. Uh, Travis Bobo uh, I'm talking about boxing in the woods. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that was one of the stories I wanted to, I, when I heard that, I was like, fuck, I got to ask him about this. <laughs> that Josh was like, hey, no, Josh I, started it. So no, Josh started and Josh was like, I've seen that dude stroke so many people. I'm like, really, really? I was like, I can see that. And because you and I had had a conversation a couple of times and I, I was mentioning something about some dude in Arizona. I don't remember where this guy's from, but you're like, I'll take that bet. I'm like, I was like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> It's like fair enough. So uh, you do a couple deployments um, with the guys, and then you go into canine, um, and you asked to go, right? You weren't voluntold. You volunteered. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And myself and actually a, another guy from the same company. Both of us went over at the same time. So when you ask to go over, <laughs> where's where your like unit guy or your commander's like, you want? You're sure? Like, <laughs> is this what you want to do? Um, you're like, well, that's that, or I got to instruct. So, I mean, I can play with dogs or I can play with idiots. Which one do you want me to do? So 
Yeah, yeah so. it's uh, it was kind of looked at, at least at the time, it was kind of looked at as a career killer. Like it was, it didn't fall anywhere in the career path. So if you were trying to chase rank, you you were kind of stepping on your own toe there, um, which I didn't care. I never cared about chasing rank. I just wanted to go get after it. Um, so, and, and that was kind of the plan was, in my head was, cool, I'm going to have this dog, but I'll be able to leave it in a kennel and still go out on mission. Or I'm bringing it with me, but his ass is going to stay in the truck and I still get to go run a gun um, in my head. And then as soon as I landed in the kennel, it, it all changed. Like my, my eyes opened up a little bit. So talk about so, that. Like the first day you go in, like, what's that like? You're like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm here. Where's my dog? <laughs> yeah, How well, I no, I kind of, I kind of got a little bit of a, a, a brief in prior to, I was deployed with a, uh, another handler from the same group. Um, so of course I'm pimping him for questions all the time we're deployed and, and he's giving me the lay of the life, the daily lay of the life that, you know, 60% of it, you're dealing with dog slobber and rocks in your pocket and picking up poop. Um, and I was like, well, that's cool. That's, that's a fair trade for not being on an instructor podium every day. Um, uh, but first week in was pretty intimidating um, with zero dog experience at all. Of course, I'm walking down the gauntlet of every kennel in the world, every working kennel in the world. And you've got Malinois trying to eat you through the cages. And uh, how can he jump that high? Like, how <laughs> how is that possible? Yeah. And it looks like the Sabbath from Happy Tail, like there's mm. blood and spit and shit everywhere. And I've got like an 80 pound Mal that's been there for 12 years trying to eat me as I'm trying to feed him because he ain't listening to a word I say, because my voice tone inflections off. And of course, like I'm cowering shoulders forward and they're, they're reading all this. So yeah, it, it was pretty intimidating that first week. Um, and then uh, I remember, and uh, you guys had Mr. Putnam on, Roy Putnam. He, he was my trainer. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know if he did this on purpose. Um, and, and if he did, kudos to him. But he put me on one of the oldest, strong-willed dogs we had at the time. Um, and uh, the dog's long retired now. I don't even know if he's still around. His name was Blue. He was one of the last German Shepherds in group altogether like 13 years old and uh he could just read a weak handler and being mm -hmm. new ha hadn't even been to school yet so they're out there you know telling me what to say to get the dog to listen to me and he's just standing there like a rock the entire time i'm not listening i'm like man i'm making a mistake i'm, I'm in the wrong place this is going to be terrible <laughs> um, and and then I had to irrigate his ears and like he shook his head and flung a big old yeast ball in my mouth. I'm like, this oh. is all one. And I'm like, this is great. And then like suppressing anal glands, like everything to like try to get me out of the kennels, I think, to see if I really wanted to be there. Yeah. He's like, hey, you got to jack him off so he doesn't get coxliosis. That was uh, exactly that was an old school trick they used to do. So I have you a know, question I for you. I probably would have done it. No, of course. Yeah, you would have. It's you better than instructing. <laughs> Yeah, we had a guy that was in my first class that I was a handler at. Uh, he's still a handler now, and um, <laughs> his dog was a douche. And the train he wouldn't spit a ball, and the trainer told him he had to uh, blow in his ear to get him to, to drop the ball. And the fucker did it and almost got his face completely ripped off. It was great. Um, hi, Mike. Hope you're doing okay. Um, so but back up real quick to the – so the Swick stuff you have to do – what is the what are some of the best stories you've heard of dudes getting out of it or trying to get out of it? Like what gigs have guys taken to just not be an instructor? Uh, there there's one specifically that comes to mind. A good buddy of mine. Um, 
<laughs> we did a couple deployments together. He was coming up on his time and jumped on the bandwagon to be a to be on the test committee for test parachutes on Fort Bragg. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was my reaction. <laughs> no, what the fuck? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a test pilot for parachutes rather than instruct. Is it that bad? I mean. Uh, I don't, I don't know. You're like, I don't I know. Never I played with, yeah. I, you're like, I don't know. I wouldn't play with dogs. <laughs> like, or I jumped out of planes with parachutes. It might not work. Um, no, you know, actually, because, uh, I mean, you, Ted, you know what I did after I got out, um, which right. was basically volunteer to go to SWIC on a civilian level um, where it was Groundhog Day and I'm on the podium every day there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It was that bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So... <laughs> So is that when you do that, when you have to, if you just go along with the program and do this, this work stuff, is that going over to conventional units and teaching them a little bit? Or is it, well, who are you training in there that it's so bad? You're uh, typically, um, you're going to one of the schoolhouse committees. Um, so you're going to instruct the future Green Berets, the Green Berets that are in the pipeline right now, the, the soon-to-be Green Berets, I should say. Um, so you're either going to be on the 18 Echo Committee or the 18 Bravo Committee. There, there are some other positions, um, like free fall instructor. You're, you're instructing guys that are already in at that point. Um, uh, dive instructor, you're instructing guys that are already in at that point. Um, there, there's a few gigs outside of that, but Typically, you know, 90% of the guys, you're, you're going into the Q course somewhere. Oh. And you're probably being assigned as an instructor in your MOS. Yeah. As the junior dude uh, at, at that, you show up and they're like, yeah, okay. Get out here and do this shit bottom <laughs> yeah. training shit that we don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. for, so when you go, and I don't know if this is true or if this is a thing yet. So you get, you volunteer to go to the kennel. And, and military units, especially um, any kind of uh, uh, special warfare units that don't, that, that volunteer their people, it's always watered down program. It always really affects. Now you'll get a va occasionally a guy who's voluntold who goes there and, and just makes the best of it and does a really good job and what it is. But um, when I worked for Cobra on the West coast prior, right prior to me coming, the guys that were coming back, a lot of them, a lot of them, uh, and the guys who were just leaving were voluntold and struggled. And it was not, you know, the program wasn't all that great. The guys, I got lucky. The two guys I had were amazing, good team guys, good handlers, good dudes. There was a group uh, that some of the other guys were training. Same thing. They kind of changed that program around a little bit. But prior to that, they were putting dregs that they didn't want in other units, you know, over there. Is it a... Um, uh, an MOS yet, or will it ever be? Do you ever see it being an MOS? No, I, I don't ever see it being an MOS, not an SF. Um, they are, at least they were in the process. I don't know if it's taken hold yet, because um, it's been a few years since since I've been in. And I, I still stay in touch with some of the guys, but I don't ask questions. We don't talk shop um, most of the time. Um, but they are supposed to be getting a, uh, a, a special identifier, an MOS identifier. Um, that goes on that shows that yes, we're we're canine certified, um, so that they can stay. It, it stays within the promotion 
system or along that ladder that they're chasing at that point. So, so that it's not a career killer. Um, as far as I'm tracking, it is still just a three year stint. Um, which um, if you ask me that it kind of sucks because as a handler, um, as a handler or a trainer, you know, that that's about the time you start catching your stride. That's about the time shit starts clicking and you're like, Oh, that change of behavior, that, you know, by that time you've had your hand on enough dogs that stuff starts to make sense. Stuff that Mr. Putnam told me week one that I didn't understand till three years later, or Mr. Licklider told me, you know, week two that I'm just now understanding half a year later. And it's, you know, so I, I don't know that that'll ever work out. I don't know that they'll ever have a full-time position. I think that's kind of where they need to go um, because if guys want to be there, just like you said, they're, they're going to perform better. Um, it's, it's kind of where their passion is. And then you've got that continuity that, that builds on. So you're not getting a good guy that finally understands it. And then they're yanking the rug out from under them and sending them back to a team. Why? Well, and, so here's the, the thing is I can kind of understand, I guess, a little bit where a three-year thing would be okay when we were deploying and going to war all the time. You know, we had this 20 years or whatever it was of guys that were in there going to war, deploying, learning some OJT stuff. Now the problem with a three-year is you have a guy who may or may not you know, really get to do a lot of stuff. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't depend on, you know, what group he's in, where he's at. And then at three years, he's like, I, I really like, I'm still behind here. Like I didn't really, you know, or I'm just not even hitting a stride. Like, kind, you know, I don't know. I just think, um, or, or even worse, you got the guys that have the false sense of, of where they are just because mm. they were a handler in group for three years, but yet their experience doesn't match where their bravado is. I think that's even more dangerous. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, we, I've seen that quite a bit, you know, you made a comment earlier. Um, you wanted, you're like, man, the fucking canine guys were always doing shit and they're always, and that's kind of like, and you know, Eric, you mentioned it and, and, and both of you kind of mentioned it. So, like, you know, those guys, you know, canine for whatever reason, well, I know why, but I mean, in law enforcement and military, like anytime shit gets funky, like they're always like, where's the dog? And they're disproportionately put in the highest instance of use of force of any specialized job. And inevitably, like, you know, that's why at most of the time when I talk to dual purpose handlers, they wanted to become a dual purpose handler in law enforcement because those are the guys catching bad guys. It's like, action is, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and that's they're like, and they're like, I want to go catch fucking bad guys. Yeah. I want to find drugs too. Whatever. Fine. They're like, yeah, they, no, I've talked to guys and they're like, fuck, we have a drug unit for that. I don't care about that shit. And they're like, I want to go catch fucking bad guys. <laughs> I'm like, mm -hmm. and I want a dog to do it. And I want to go catch bad guys. And that's, I mean, every time that dog comes out, there is a high chance that you're well in your situation, which we'll talk about a little bit, like you're going to find something or you're going to find somebody. And so it kind of makes sense. Like, right. And you know, that, that tempo, maintaining that tempo, you know, there's a lot of experience that can happen in the short amount of time. Like Eric says, when you're deploying a whole lot, but then if you're not, then, I mean, Eric tells the story and he tells it all the time. Like when we stand up in front of HRD guys, we're like, you know, you're, you know, Eric worked for Cobra with the NSW program. And, you know, people are like, Oh God, fucking seal dogs. Not they're like, no, they're not any better than your dogs. Like, and I mean, you know, my guys get more bites than seals did do 
And, you know, which we'll talk about yours in a second. I mean, you didn't ever have a live bite, fortunately, unfortunately. But, you know, I mean, our shit, our guys buy people all the fucking time. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, so speaking of which, speaking of dogs, so you go to the kennel. Um, Putnam is giving you literally every shithead in there. <laughs> and so what, who was the, what was your first dog? Um, so my first dog, I, I went to be okay. Um, so every right. handler, you, you kind of do your time at the kennel for a month or two. And it's really just to fill the handler out, um, to know if they want to be a handler. Do you want to deal with this dog shit every day? Literally, um, mm-hmm. you want to. We trained every single day, all day long. It wasn't like being on a regular team where you kind of show up, you drink your coffee, you hang out, and then you kind of wait for everyone to show up, and then you go do some work and you train, and you're at home four o'clock in the afternoon cutting the grass, and and that was typical team life. Unless you were training up for something specific, um, in the kennel we we worked all day, every day. There was something to do. It never stopped. Um, so they did that. They felt me out, and it was my time to, to go to VOK. Um, so myself and the other guy that just got there, we took off into VOK, and uh, we were number one in the selection queue. They, they kind of do a round robin that kind of rotates with groups. Um, I don't know if they still do um, on who gets first pick, who gets last pick, and, and the trainers that get together and they'll trade with each other because every kennel's got their personality, a dog they like. Um, and I got a dog named Donder. Um, and it was actually Donder 2. Um, she was the second Donder in our kennel. Um, <clears throat> big, long, French-bred Malinois, like the epitome of what a Malinois should look like, at least what I thought, you know, blonde with the full black mask. And uh, I was so ignorant at the time, I had no idea that I just got a Cadillac. Um, she was a push-button robot. And uh you know, it was good and bad. It, it was good because I had, I didn't have to work hard. Um, I could say something fucked up. She knew what to do. Um, <clears throat> she was just, I mean, she was just all around a, a phenomenal dog. Um, but because of that experience, every other dog I got my hands on afterwards, I was always comparing to her. Yeah. Um, so uh, we leave, we get back and be okay, make it back to the kennel. Um, and uh, I get my first deployment. Um, and I deployed with the unit. We were on standby for anything that popped off in Africa. So we were actually stationed in Germany with an eight hour response time to anywhere in Africa at the time. So we had a lot of training on our hand. Um, we were doing some training in the shoot house and, uh, I had her on a 30 foot and threw a tennis ball around a corner. Um, I was rewarding her or actually marked, dropped the tennis ball. It bounced around the corner, around the threshold. I couldn't see, and it bounced out a window, second-story window, second- or third-story window. Um, by the time I round the corner, all I see is ass going out the window, and uh, she hits the ground, breaks all the tarsals in one of her front paws. Um, I haul ass down the flight of stairs, get down there, and she's standing up, wagging her tail, tennis ball in her mouth, holding her paw up. Um, so end up having to ship her back to the States and, uh, got one of our veteran dogs that was actually on the queue to retire sent over to me and, uh, ended up doing two deployments with that dog. So mm-hmm. I, I had my rock star dog and I never really got to use her live. Like I, I broke her in training and she ended up getting med retired out cause they had to put a plate in her and, and, but she, she got retired out to a vet. She's in a good home. That really sucks, man. Really sucks. We, um, at my old unit, we have a, big tower that we use it's 
three stories. Second story has a window. We had a dog launch out the window one time and I'm standing down below. He comes and lands flat down on his stomach, gets up, looks at me. He's coming to me. We had another guy in a bite suit to change out decoys, starts yelling. The dog turns, goes over and bites him. Nothing wrong with him. Absolutely nothing wrong with him. I, I don't, I was like freaking out, rush him to the vet. They're like, yeah, he's cool, man. He's good. I'm like, wow. it's, it's insane. They're, and they're if like she lands kids. two, two centimeters differently, it might be the exact same thing. Um, my uh, second dog, Willie, I caught him on the leash as he was going out a third story window after a dude who, who was hanging and dropped and uh, right in front of the cops, whap on the ground, right in front of him. And I caught, caught Willie just as he was going out the window. So it's fucking dogs, that, man. That, that fucking happens. I mean, at um, Janet, that uh, at her courses, they do a deal where um, they send the dog up a tower. And I probably shouldn't talk about that in the case somebody show up because this is kind of a surprise scenario. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it happens. <laughs> yeah, Evan, dogs do shit. shit Evan, Evan told me some stories about that kind of shit too. So um, anyway, you get to so you deploy, and unfortunately, Dondra, you don't get to deploy with. Um, you deploy to Africa with um, second dog. Yeah, Jasmine. Um, yeah. So Jasmine had kind of been passed around the kennel. She's had a lot of handlers underneath her. Really, really solid dog. Needed a strong handler though. She would check you, um, not aggressively. She she would just ignore you um, if you weren't a strong handler. Um, and lo and behold, we actually get the call to respond into Africa. Um, none of us were expecting it. None of us were expecting anything serious enough to pop off, um, but we get the call. So we, uh, we ended up going into South Sudan during the civil war that kicked off and don't quote me. I think it was 2016. Um, the words we got was, it was a full on force on force tank on tank war. It was an unsecure airfield. Um, and there was about 40 of us total landing on an unsecure airstrip. Um, so we fly in, map the earth, ramp down, we land, all, all of us, of course, you know, adrenaline through the roof right now. I'm monkey tailed into the aircraft because I'm not getting in the truck with the dog. Um, I'd rather be on the ground with the dog and step out where the first one's out. And I got her tethered to my belt, rifle up. I'm walking across the airfield and I feel my tether start dragging. So, of course, I yank on it weird thinking that you know she's sniffing piss or something um i look back and she's taking a shit right in the middle of the airfield like as soon as yeah. we get all the gun trucks are passing by me laughing at me pointing and uh lucky for us though um and we weren't told lucky for us though uh right before landing they had called a 48 hour ceasefire so they could do peace talks so they were there waving to us and like happy to see us and so yeah, it was a good oh man uh so uh you get into south sudan um when you come back um well i mean first of all um how did you know what was your loadout different for being canine handler versus your first couple deployments as just a normal fucking team guy obviously you have dog shit but what was different about some of the loadout stuff yeah i mean obviously loadout was different I, I'm, I'm carrying a lot more gear now um, 
Well, I don't want to say a lot more gear. I'm carrying different gear. I was a combo guy before. Uh, I was a SF combo guy, so I always had batteries and antennas. And guys are going to break every wire on their kit, and they're going to come to me, and I'm having to fix it. Or some commander can't get communications, and I got to go tweak and play. You know, a bunch of hangers. You're fucking undoing yeah. wire hangers. And <laughs> yeah, giant uh, like shit up. My <laughs> can of cheese whiz and my <laughs> combat thing of crackers loaded up. I can push my glasses up. So instead of all that, I had a muzzle and a tennis ball and a con. No, um, but really, it wasn't a whole lot different kit wise other than the obvious stuff that that most canine handlers have you know i got my emergency muzzle in my pocket everyone knows where it is in case i get put down they know where to grab it put it on the dog um in case the dog's freaked out um you know my 30 my six um plenty of rewards on me so and, and we typically went with tennis balls because um, they were light they were easy to carry like I, I know there's a big controversy if they wear dogs teeth down and but carry a kong around in combat for 15 days and you're going to start carrying a tennis ball i promise you um mm -hmm. so uh, but the the back end side is where it really mattered um, making sure that and it's funny that you bring this up because it happened on this mission um making sure that you have enough food for the dog put away on a pallet or put away in a truck somewhere to support you for the duration that you're going to be there. Um, we ended up flying into Djibouti first. Um, the plane that we were supposed to get on was much larger than the plane we ended up getting on. So they downsized us. A couple pallets got left behind and it was, it so happened to be the pallet that had my dog food on it. So we're in South Sudan. It's supposed to be a touch and go. We're supposed to land, grab the Americans that are NGOs on the ground, get them out of there. Um, we ended up securing the embassy for, I don't remember, it was three or four days until conventional guys got in. Um, so I was having to scrounge off like the local economy and send runners out to get whatever dog food they had in south sudan and like go to the kitchen and like grab raw food to feed my dog so like there's definitely some improvising there that causes shit. some shit problems we have some diarrhea issues going on yeah well that and uh <laughs> i won't say who it was you guys can probably look it up um the uh the ambassador um to south sudan the u.s ambassador to south sudan um loved dogs she was a dog mom um one, one of those types of people so like every time my back was turned she was feeding my dog bacon um so oh, yeah yes. that in combination I would love with to like, been your dog <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you know that it actually kind of worked out because it, it got me into a couple of the meetings that she was having with with other people that like my commander wasn't even invited to so like i'd yeah. come back out and debrief him on what was happening or, so it, it worked out that's <laughs> hilarious so uh, were you a hip lead guy? Uh, it depends on the situation. Um, it, it really did. Like it, it, in a situation like that, where there was a very real possibility of me needing to operate that rifle. Yeah, um, I did. Typically, no. Um, typically, I was on a six or, or a 30. Um, and I, you know, hopefully get the opportunity to talk about that, about, you know, my thoughts on a leash and combat and some of those situations. Um, but, but typically I was on a six or a 30. Well, it's a perfect time to take a break and we'll get into that because uh, Ted and I talk about that ad nauseum at our conferences because oh, it's such a big yeah. deal. But, um, but what I, and, and I want to get into if we can on working on shooting with your dog 
on that hip, on that six, on whatever, because guys don't do it. Uh, in law enforcement, they just don't. I'm telling you, do not do it. And I think they think, I'll just, I'll, I'm good. I'll just be able to get, and, and they don't understand the dynamics of a moving dog and things that are going on. And <laughs> a lot of these guys can barely fucking pass certification as it is with a, with a regular pistol course. And they think they're going to be able to do it with a dog on his sweet ass, cool bungee hip lead. So um, I want to go ahead and take a break and we get back. Uh, we'll get into that operational stuff with Travis. Uh, be right back. All right, guys, this episode has been brought to you by great sponsors of ours. Please don't skip through this. Take a listen to them. One of our oldest sponsors and great friends of ours are the people down at Highland Canine down in North Carolina. Um, I really like them. We have we see them at all the conferences. I know a lot of people have been to their school for dog trainers. They've been on the podcast. Highland Canine, they're a full service canine and pet dog training business where they can train you to be a trainer. They can get you a dog. They have handler classes. They have supervisor classes. They have trainers courses for just LE. They have them for anybody who wants to be in, uh, in the dog business, be a dog trainer of any kind. Um, check them out. Their website is tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. If you are smart, you'll go down there in the winter. It is North Carolina. It is warm. You get to work dogs. It's no, no joke school, guys. You're not going down there for a month. Um, and, and rushing through it. They're actually trying to make you real deal dog trainers. Uh, TacticalPoliceK9Training.com. Next is a sponsor that's been with us for quite a while, uh, Dogtra. I love Dogtra stuff, and they continually keep bringing out new products. Uh, one of the things that I've been using a lot lately is the new Tone Box. If you're a pet trainer or if you train a lot of police officers, and I harp at my guys all the time about timing. And this thing literally kind of pairs to the, to the remote. And when you're using the remote, whether you're using Nick constant or vibrate, it makes a noise. So you can get the timing down hundred percent consistent. And so I can demonstrate how to do an out with an e-caller immediately quickly. And it is so effective that I can't believe that it took me forever to figure it out <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to get that. They've also got these new um, comfort feather, like titanium things that go on the collars that uh, are, fantastic for making sure we got contact. It actually has six points and this comes in two sizes and it's a titanium feather thing. They're awesome. They got comfort, comfort contact points for the bark collars, the YS 600. One of my favorite things. I have about 50 of them at the kennel and it is dead silent. And I put them on all the pet dogs and I can leave them on because they have the comfort contact points and they're fantastic. All this stuff you can get at dogtra.com. And if you use the discount code WDR one zero you get 10 percent off a single item over 200 bucks so that covers the ball trainer that covers the 1900 ask hands free which is my personal favorite for all the big dogs uh it covers the two dog system uh the 202c which i use for the two dog pet guys and fantastic so dogtra.com or go to at dogtra official on all the socials that's facebook instagram all those places so hit them up dogtra.com guys i don't even shop any other sites when i'm looking for everything for dogs our one-stop shop for anything pet dog training and police dog training hunt dog training anything you need you can find at rayallen.com they have been doing it forever we have a great relationship with them Um, again they're at all the conferences you can stop up and talk to them they have more stuff there than any place rayallen.com they are amazing we have a great a really, really good relationship with those guys. Um, like I said, I get on their website. I do not look anywhere else. I just get on Ray Allen. Why, why should I? 
fill up my cart, pay it, boom, shipping. Here we go. Uh, everything's coming. RayAllen.com. And guess what? We do have a discount code for them. Working Dog Radio for 10% off. It's all one, Working Dog Radio, and it's all caps. Check them out, RayAllen.com. I'm not too shaved to admit that I used our own discount code to buy stuff for the kennel. We have American Aluminum next. They're a new sponsor for uh, moving forward. Um, they have been around for quite a while. They manufacture a wide variety of products from the high quality cam lockers and toolboxes to a huge line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of law enforcement community. Back in 1992, due to the demand for safe, secure transport for a nearby law enforcement department's canine, they introduced the very first Easy Rider canine. They have continuously grown and expanded products, catering to the needs and wants of the valued customers and high-profile clientele. Over the years, as the needs have changed, they have evolved and expanded their products to include inmate transport systems, canine training aids, canine inserts, contraband, containment, and animal control systems, just to name a couple of things. So you can find them at easyrideronline.com. That is easy echo Zulu rider online.com. You can find them on the socials at American Aluminum Accessories, and then you can hit them up toll free. 1-800-277-0869. You don't have to worry about writing all that down. We're going to put it in the show notes. So just scroll down to the bottom, write it down, click the link, take you straight there onto your phone. Our first sponsor we ever had, he's been, he's our ride or die. He's been with us since the beginning is Arno over at ALM Canine Equipment. His stuff is so good. Ted, you know, gets suits. He, and listen, Ted's suit, he's had it for a long time. Arno's fixed it. He's uh, taken a million bites on it. It still holds up. The thing's amazing. I've got a suit from him. I love it. Use it all the time. Uh, but the main thing that I really love about Arno is his hidden sleeves are ridiculously amazing. They are the best. And his tugs. I usually buy tugs from Arno by the box load. He'll send me a whole bunch of them. I hand them out to the handlers, new handlers when they come in, experienced handlers. Uh, they last for a long time. They're amazing. The craft work is is great. Arno's doing all the, the sewing there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom-made suits, everything you need um, out there. And he's out there in sunny Las Vegas. Get on his website, check him out, almk9equipment.com, almk9equipment.com. Discount code WDRADIO, all caps, 10% off your first order. Check him out. All right, everybody. We are back, Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Uh, great conversation with our buddy Travis Bobo. Um, so we left off if the, uh, if you guys remember five, eight minutes ago, talking about, uh, his gear loadout, different things that he used, which I'm sure at least placement things probably change as you were really getting used to it based on, you know, when you're going through training, when you hit South Sudan, then after that, all your other missions and everything, what's important, what isn't important, but what we say, and, and, Ted, I first heard this from Ted at, at HRD, and I use it with every canine guy, every pet owner, everybody. Leashes are so important. There's cave paintings of them. Oh, yeah. That's how long they've been around. So <laughs> I do say that. <laughs> you are not a failure to go back to your leash or to use your leash at all times. So talk about that from a person who's using a dog uh, in different countries, um, in combat, in whatever things about your uh, impressions of leash, your opinion, and how you end up working those. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm going to 
I'm going to start this off first by by saying how phenomenal of a trainer uh, Roy Putnam is. Um, mm-hmm. And again, that, that it kind of goes back to what I was saying about that. My first dog, I didn't realize how lucky I was um, until later on down the road. I didn't realize that I had the dog whisperer um, I was working and learning from on a daily basis all day long, every day. And until I'd stepped away and got to see it in, in other lights and other kennels and other trainers, um, phenomenal, uh, absolutely phenomenal. But the only disagreement I think we've ever had is a leash in combat while working uh, a bomb dog, where you have a very real possibility of finding a bomb. Uh, and your average size bomb is 40 pounds. Um, and this, again, is just my thoughts from my experience. Um, training, yeah, absolutely. Have that leash on. How else are you going to correct the dog? How else are you going to fine-tune that dog and chisel that dog into what you need it to be if you don't have that immediate response and that timing? And you're, not, you're only going to get that timing from a leash. Um, you, you can talk about e-collars all you want, but you can miss that. You can miss the opportunity. You may not see something. You may not feel what you need to feel that you can on a leash. Um, training, yeah, a- absolutely. Um, but my last deployment with the dog, we were literally finding bombs on a daily basis that were live. They were live. They were triggered. They were ready to go. The, the entire country was laced. And your average size bomb was 40 pounds. And if we're running, you know, an ammonium nitrate, 40 pounds, and if you're running on a 30-foot leash and that dog triggers that bomb, and you don't know what the trigger is going to be. You don't know if it's emotion. You don't know if it's a PIR. You don't know if it's a pressure plate. You don't know if it's got a tilt switch in it. You, you just don't know what it is. Um, and if that dog sets that bomb off and you're only 30 feet away, what was the point of me having the dog out there in the first place? Um, yeah, the dog's going to find it. But if the dog triggers it, I'm a goner anyway. So, yeah, I guess I did my job and everyone behind me safe. But I'm vapor right now. So there's a time and a place to work a dog off leash. And that would be the time and the place, undoubtedly, in my mind. Um finding as many bombs as we did so um that that's just kind of my thoughts on it and and uh i think roy was about ready to kick me out of the kennel when i got back from syria and i was voicing that so strongly and uh of course it it starts like every conversation with every trainer and handler ever does it starts as tactfully as it possibly can and then escalates probably to a point that it probably shouldn't have been um still like i said the most respect for that man is is anyone can have um but that was by our only disagreement we ever have and and then later on like like grown-ups we sat down talked about it and he, he saw it from my point of view and i saw it from his point of view and i think it was really just more of a misunderstanding than it was anything else where i was trying to work a dog or work dogs and start incorporating it into training um, back at Bragg, and, and he basically gave me the the same point of view that I just gave you guys. Like, how, how do you correct it during training? If this is training, it's training. You need to have a way to correct it. So, um, so <laughs> leashes, the style, the length and style of leashes that guys use uh, often changes. Like, especially in law enforcement, because guys can be handlers for a long time. Um, so, in Syria, for example, weather environment sand or whatever it is that you're dealing with gloves no gloves are you a leather a nylon a synthetic on a 30 and a six where do you look at Uh, this was my thought and this is what i used um i used tubular nylon and i used cheap and i typically tied a uh i just tied a knot um i tied an inline bowling into a hasp 
um, use tubular nylon and I use regular gloves on it as thin as I possibly could. So I can still feel the leash. I've got that. I, I can work the brakes without giving an inadvertent correction. Um, but the leash is so cheap, I can pull it off the spool. And if I need to cut that leash, I'm, you know, I'm not cutting a, a $200 leash in half right now. I'm cutting a piece of tubular nylon to get away from it and, and let that dog come back out to me. That, that was just my thoughts. Maybe not the most ergonomically sound thing, um, but for the purposes that I use it for, uh, you know, that was my determination. That was my thought process on it. We were working a lot in uh, congested buildings. So sending that dog in on, I made a couple sixties um, mm. to let the dog be able to work, just so I still had some From the type truck. of control. You're back yeah, in the back, truck. <laughs> yeah, back two, two buildings <laughs> deep and using a camera. Uh, right. <laughs> but but it didn't matter how long the the lease was. She was wrapping around chairs. She was knocking, you know, dragging couches and coffee tables around, knocking pillows over. And and half of the IEDs we were running across were PIR. They they were you know infrared sensor. So you didn't know what you could move, what you couldn't move. And, and that leash was just wrapping around every, it, it turned into a, a shit show essentially. Mm -hmm. So eventually I ended up impromptu, you know, teaching, teaching my dog directionals in the middle of the theater we were in enough that she could do the job. Uh, you know, it wasn't clean. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't a Pat Nolan gun dog by any means, <laughs> but it got the That's job true. done. I was yeah. thinking, I was like, this is clean as past. <laughs> yeah, right. You talk shit right now. What about your six foot? What was your kind of the same? You just making up the six foot that way too? It, it, again, that kind of depends. So, you know, we all got issued our nice, pretty leathers um, that we took care of. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times I liked something I could just ball up and throw in my pocket. So I'd, a lot of times I'd cut a nylon for operational uses. Um, training, I always like that heavy leather. You, you got a little bit more. You got a little bit more uh, give or not yeah. give. You got a little bit more oomph out of it when you needed it. Yeah, good. You can feel it. It's the texture's right. You can yep. yeah manipulate a lot easier. You can break it right. You can, you can do everything you needed to with it. You knew when it was there. You knew where, where you were holding. Um, you, you never really know on the nylon unless you're putting stitches in it to kind of let you know you're getting to the end of that thing. Yeah, so um... – you, you know, when, when we talked to Josh, um, you know, he didn't really even have a, he didn't have a, a story where like, oh man, you know, I'm really glad the dog was there. Like, fuck, had he not been there, she would have happened. And he mentioned that um, you guys ran across something because you guys were in the same, in the same area in the same theater uh, at the same time. And you ran across something that wasn't normal and you sent it down to him so that he can imprint it on in the field and which is what you ended up doing as well. But um, you kind of talk a little bit about um, like how you came across it. And then I, I want to know, because did you guys have EOD with you? Did you guys have the Navy kids with you? Or so <laughs> what did they yeah. say? <laughs> yeah. So the unit that I was with, um, I was with an SMU. I, I wasn't a patch wearing member of the SMU that I was there with. So any guys listening that, that know better, I'm not saying I was an SMU guy. Um, I was there for the trip. It was kind of a task force, hodgepodge, guys put together from all over the special operations community. Um, the EOD guy that I had with me, he was a dev guru EOD guy. Uh, we worked hand in hand. We actually lived together. We lived in the same little two-man chew, so we were always together. Um, and 
you know, we worked real well as a team together. We'd have a conversation before every single clear we did about where I was going to start, where he was going to start, where I was going to make my wind call, how we were going to cross clear, what the signals were going to be, so on and so forth. But uh, kind of alluding to what you're asking about, we, we were regularly coming across a uh, deck cord that was uh, it was in a red casing. It looked a lot like a civilian deck cord uh, for some of the guys that have worked bomb dogs before. You've probably seen it. You've probably trained on it before. Um, and, and to my assumption, that, that's what it was. It was, you know, a Patton or RDX mix um, that would be standard across the board. And uh, it wasn't just me. There was a, a, a ranger handler that was on the same little camp that I was on, and both of us were finding it. And neither one of our dogs were hitting on that in particular because a lot of times we'd find an ID that would be an ammonium nitrate base. And then we'd bring it back. Um, we'd disarm it. We'd bring it back. We'd use it for training um, just to make sure our dogs were hitting on it. If that's what's in the field right now, I just want to make sure. Um, and, and, of course, it's dirty, so we're not overly training on it. We're not trying to imprint our dogs on, on half the dirty shit that's inside yeah. this thing. But we just want to, you know, we want to warm and fuzzy that our dog's actually hitting on what it needs to be hitting on. Well, the most exposed thing there, you know, being as anthropomorphic as I can be, is that that RDX hanging out the top of it, that deck cord hanging out the top or out the side of the ID or whatever it was at the time. And uh, none of our dogs were hitting on it. Um, so yeah, we sent a, we sent a sample back to the EAC lab. We never got anything back, um, never heard anything back. Um, but we ended up imprinting our dogs on it live in the field. And, and I know my success rate, success rate went up from there. I know the, uh, the ranger that was there with me, his success rate went up from there too. Hmm. Yeah, somebody bought truckloads of that shit from mm -hmm. somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So what did the EOD guy say? I mean, he saw it. He was like, "Do you think it was?" He was like, "It's decor." Like, yeah, yeah. That's that was everyone. Taste saw. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah fucking Navy guys, they'll eat it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that's super crazy. Um. And you know, we talked about it earlier. Um. You never, thankfully, you said thankfully, but talk about, um. You never had a, a live apprehension in the field. Yeah, no, I just, uh, I, I never had that situation, um, honestly. Um, and, and if, again, here's my thoughts. If, if me as an SF guy has to turn my dog loose on somebody, we're, we're down to our Swiss Army knives at that point, um, the way I'm thinking about it. We're, we're gunned up, ready for a fight. And I've got enough dudes around me that, you know, if I'm, we treated our dogs just like I treat a rifle. If I'm sending my dog on you, I'm, I'm, you're a dead man, essentially. I'm not using my dog as apprehension like law enforcement does. Um, that's not even in our rope. Um, it's a kill or capture. You're going to die if I get the choice. I'm not going to send my dog. I'm going to I'm going to send a rifle around at you. Um, there was one instance that I actually sent my dog on somebody. Um, and, and the guy was, he, he was the fastest kid alive. Um, he, he... <laughs> we're, we're... He's, running, he's running for the Syrian national team in, in yeah. Tokyo right now. <laughs> yeah. And he's dropping his, his tide bottles full of beer along the way. Um, so, uh, but yeah, we saw a guy kind of, and he was probably honestly just a local, um, all these little villages that we were running across in the theater we were in, they were displaced. There was nobody there. And we'd kind of set up shop. We'd work there for a day or two, and then we'd push forward again. Um, and as we were setting up, we, we spotted, you know, a Syrian kind of working in a couple buildings, getting closer and closer to us. And uh, myself and one of the other guys that was there with us, 
rounded the corner and he took off running. And I immediately unclipped the dog, sent the dog. He hit a few alleyways. And by the time, you know, we worked slow, there were bombs everywhere. So we systematically started clearing our way through this village. Dog off leash, but dog, you know, still giving a blind eye to us every now and then. So only working like two or three kilos ahead of us. Um, by the time we made it to the village, this guy's four or 500 meters across a field. And I wasn't about to push my dog that far. It, he wasn't worth it. Air already had eyes on him at that point. So it, I recalled my dog, got my dog back, and we continued mission. How many, um, how many different, I know you're talking about that one uh, DevGrew uh, EOD guy. How many different EOD guys did you end up deploying with or working with in the, through the time? Uh, through that deployment or through just in general just your whole time as a handler quite a few um quite a few mostly my experience is mostly with naval eod mm -hmm. um and i can honestly say almost every eod guy i've worked with has been phenomenal yeah um and, and been had a great working relationship with the canine did you have to uh so I, the reason i ask is so when i was out with cobra i had team one two dogs, two platoons, two different EOD guys. And we had to work up two different SOPs based on that EOD guy and the way he liked to do it. Did you find that or was, every, was everybody kind of on the same page? No, oh, we were, we were kind of on the same page. As a matter of fact, the, uh, the guy I was working with, um, the, the last guy I worked with, Dev, almost deferred to me uh, as to how we were going to start a clear because he, he understood enough. He'd been around enough to know that everything I did had to be based off a of wind call. Um, so I was starting to clear and we essentially, if I was starting on the West end of wherever we were clearing, he was going to go ahead and start on the East end and we were just going to cross clear. So by the time we finished, we had a double clear across the perimeter. He's done his checks. I've done my checks. We either give a thumbs up or I'm marking stuff along the way, or he's marking stuff along the way. So did you, um, did you ever have any finds that you weren't looking and the, you got that tug, that pull from the dog and you're like, what the, Oh shit. One of them deals? Yeah. Um, I've had a couple hard, hard behavior change where a dog starts dragging around the corner. Um, typically what I would do if I'm on a 30, knowing the size of, of the explosives that we're in there, if I could discern, let's say, you know, I'm in the middle of a field and, and there's a, only a couple buildings or a car and that dog throws that hard behavior change. Start, that's enough for me at that point. Um, so I would somewhere along the route or someone behind me have them do a, uh, you know, a drop hide so that I could give my dog a reward on the way mm -hmm. back. So I just, you know, increase that ratio there and dog hits it. And I'm just rewarding on the way back on the drop hide somewhere instead of letting the dog go to the, the final response on whatever's real down the line. Um, we did have one in particular that we went into a building. They wanted to occupy it as a, a command and control outpost. And uh, immediate change of behavior. I've never seen it in this dog before. She was essentially climbing the walls in here. Um, pulled her back out, tried to get a good reset. Um, you know, clear, clear nasals, push her back in again, same behavior, climbing the walls, but never specifically in one area, never concentrating in one area. Um, and we went through, put the dog up, went through, did the deliberate clear through this building, took like two hours. The guys are still in the truck waiting on us, um, getting pissed, getting more and more pissed. Hmm. Are we clear? Or are we not clear? EOD is giving the thumbs up. We're good. I'm telling everyone we're not good. Um, and, uh, you know, he's kind of still deferring to me. He's like, you know, it's your call. And I'm like, well, if it's my call, I'm going to say no. I trust my dog. You know, she's been spot on this entire deployment. And as we were leaving, um, 
I guess some local had pulled a uh, rocket booster out of the tube and was using it to light fires inside this building. And it was being used as a door wedge to prop a door open. And it looked just like a can it looked like a candlestick. Like if EOD wouldn't have found it, I never would have known what it was. But I guess the building, the area was so permeated that she could never, you know, hone in on the strongest yeah, concentration of odor. Um, so that that was probably the strangest find that I've had. Fucking crazy. One of my buddies that was a handler and one of the ranger handlers talked about it they found a weapons cache that was covered up by a trap door and the dog went in and she sat in the middle of the room and he was like what the fuck are you doing like stop that come out here and he sent her in like three times he's like i don't know like what he was like something was in there and what they thought and so the uod guys came back after the fact they're like oh no we found like 600 pounds of they wasn't alive but they were like we have like 600 pounds of hme under the fucking floor he's like oh that makes sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, man, that's crazy. He, using a rocket booster to light fires. I, yeah. or, and there's a door jam. I was going to adapt, I guess. <laughs> Fuck. Holy shit. So, He's a squatty um, potty. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you come back to the U.S. Um, you go back to Von Lake to get your second dog. Um, and this is where you come in contact with uh, Davis. Yeah, Josh. Josh so, David. Yeah. Yeah, or Jay David, yeah. yeah. So, Davis. Um, so, tell me a little bit about. So, allegedly, in in it near Von Lick, there's a strip club. Rumor has it. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you don't want to leave, or you don't want to drive, but so you know. And this is I, this is one of the other stories where I. I <laughs> go, I'll let you tell it. Yeah, so uh, this was actually prior to, to going on that deployment, but but yeah, same same premise. So I, I actually went to the Legion one night. We were, it was a weekend, and, and the Legion and outside of Kokomo, Indiana, had a uh, uh, open table um, hold'em tournament, and I love playing hold'em. So Me too. I, I, I went to the Legion, sat down at the table, um, started playing, and about six beers later. I'm off the tables finally and uh, realized I couldn't drive home, didn't want to drive home. Um, we're in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. There's no Uber. There's like one cab that works the four towns around us. So I ended up just calling, sending a mass blast text to all the guys back at the, uh, back in the, uh, the barracks or hotel, Von Lake hotel. And, uh, Josh and his buddies are the only ones that got back with me and they were like yeah we're on the way out we can pick you up and you just go out with us and uh they were on the way to the strip club so uh <laughs> I, I ended up going to the strip club with these guys that night and uh one of the guys that was there um one of Josh's buddies and, and <laughs> I, I, if he's listening to this if you listen to this I love you man um uh, but <laughs> but <laughs> but, but you deserve what was coming to you so <laughs> but uh so we're in there we're in the strip club and uh this guy one guy in particular he's gotten like seven or eight lap dances in a row and uh i don't know if he's just so drunk he doesn't uh, he's just so drunk that he doesn't know what's going on or if he's never been to a strip club before and doesn't understand that every song is 25 dollars or 20 dollars mm -hmm. or whatever he's getting married he thinks he, he thinks she likes him yeah yeah well, she she worked him um so anyways, we're, it's almost closing time and he owes this stripper like $300. And uh, 
So he's arguing with her. And of course, now the bouncers are involved. So the bouncers are involved. So we're all involved. And uh, it's about to turn into a shit show. I'm about half sober at this point because I stopped drinking hours and hours ago. Um, so I step in, pull some money out. I pay the stripper um, just so we don't get in trouble. I get him outside. Um, and as soon as we get outside, he pulls a lot of cash out of his pocket and he's laughing about how he didn't have to pay the stripper. Um, so I proceed to take the money out of his hand, count my 300 out, give him the change back. And then uh, he proceeds to say that I'm robbing him, um, bows up on me and then gets knocked out as the cab's pulling up and shoved in the back of the cab on top of Josh to mm. baby him on the way back to the barracks. So. I think that's the story you were referencing. Yes, yes. Probably. <laughs> yes. And if if you follow Josh's uh, social media, more than likely he had his shirt up and shown his abs and was wow. basically topless at a at the strip club himself, probably. And combing his hair. Yes. Oh, right, just <laughs> over here or whatever he's got going on. So all right, we're gonna end here because uh, we're, I want to have you back on because we have more dogs and more things to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. We're not trying to be Joe Rogan with three and a half hour episodes. So um, real quick, what are you doing now? So I have stepped away from military, law enforcement, defense contract altogether. When I retired, I got out. I went over to Griffin Group. Ted's well aware of this. I think you are too. Um, mm -hmm. So I got brought on to help stand up the canine program over there. It really never lifted, took off um, because of sequestration um then continuing resolution kind of stomped on us and then COVID hit like I had my first few uh, classes on the books for programs that I had written um with some of the MP units around Bragg and some other places um and then COVID kind of stomped them out and then the riots kicked up so all the MPs had to get pulled all over the globe um and then we sold the company um we were successful we sold back in December and I took my proceeds um I was looking at areas that weren't affected by COVID, kind of seemed like they were immune to it. Um, construction seemed like it was where it was at. I'm not a general contractor. I don't know how to build. So I stood up a demolition crew um, and I'm running mm. a couple of trucks, a couple of demolition crews, and we're about to start getting into logistics and running long trucks. So I moved out to the middle of nowhere. I own a couple acres. My closest neighbor's like two miles away, just cleared a lot for a bunch of heavy equipment. And then that's what we're doing. We're running demolition and, and logistics on a daily basis. And it, it kind of seems like the dog community still tries to pull me back in on, on a weekly basis. You were talking about Scotty earlier. Scotty calls me quite a bit, you know, trying to get me to come up there and help him out. Um, good buddy of mine, phenomenal kennel up there. Um, uh, actually, Mr. Putnam hit me up probably about a month ago, asking me if I wanted to gig to be the master trainer, um, quote, end quote, master trainer over at Fifth Group. Um, and uh, I immediately turned it down because mm -hmm. I knew if I thought about it long and hard, I would probably cool. say yes. You'd and I be wanna, there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I really want to see this through. Um, so, but, you know, hopefully if time slows down, I can still piddle with it and, and play with dogs. Who, who you been petting there the whole time? Uh, this is actually Jessica Kelly's dog, um, Kitty is her name. She's half Malinois, half uh, nanny dog, and uh, probably one of the most oh. docile dogs in the world. <laughs> Good size, nice looking dog. Yeah, she is beautiful. We like stripey though. Uh, Ted and I yeah. are partial to some stripey dogs there. Yeah, yeah. I, yep. I like it. Well, man, uh, I loved having you, and we've been trying to get this. I'd like I said, we'd like to get you back on for another one. Um, kind of pick up where we left off with after you knock this fool out in the parking lot of the strip club 
and then throw uh, that's the best knock, your, knock your boy out throw him in the car you idiot let's go um yeah yeah the strip club yeah. at the you should have stayed at the legion and just played poker <laughs> yeah, <I should've. laughs> yeah i'm, I'm with a rebuy buy back in so um i know you're not a big social media guy um or are you now with the new business yeah, my business is definitely on there. I mean, it's nothing dog related, so I, I definitely don't want to try to throw a plug and demolition on this. But yeah, I'm I'm on social. I do have a personal Facebook page because you have to have it to have the business mm-hmm. page. So, uh, you know, you guys obviously hit me up, and, and I follow you guys. I'm still a, a Patreon member, so I still follow oh, sweet. the podcast. I put up a new video today on Patreon. As a matter of fact, my I don't know if they notify you guys of that, but uh, yeah, put it up. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Ted, what about you? Like, wh- where are you at? We are at Torchlight Canine, letter K number nine, and Torchlight Pets on the Instagrams and the Facebook. Uh, I am on Instagram, Ted underscore Summers. Um, and that's basically dog stuff. I mean, it's work. Um, and then, of course, HRD Police Canine. Um, the next one is in August in Billings, Montana. Um, it's actually full. Um, <laughs> it's going to be fairly large uh they had a schedule change by the way so this if you're listening to this you're going to be there we're going to be at the yellowstone sheriff's office um yellowstone county i think what it is sheriff's office first day so that'll be cool um montana is far and it's like almost in canada it's way far (laughs) so well yeah thankfully we're gonna go in august uh and i think we've just uh confirmed one for uh january 31st through february 2nd in south uh san francisco um oh yeah with the so, boys from uh yep. uh trident canine yeah. solutions yep they are hosting us that sheriff's office or that city is so um yeah so uh yeah for sure uh i think we lost eric but so uh travis man this has been fucking awesome i appreciate it coming on um yeah, it's been awesome. Like Eric said, we'll have to have you back on for sure, man. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I'd love to come back on. And I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm glad we finally got to do it. Yeah, for sure. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young now. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Dig. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.